Hello und willkommen to what might be the podcast to end all podcasts, the Der Ausblick episode that carries the most weight with it. One of the most stressful matches I have ever covered since I have joined this blog. We are talking the UEFA Champions League final between Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain coming up this Sunday. For the Americans, it will be on CBS All Access. And for that reason, we have decided to bring on a former U.S. men's national team defender, the only podcast guest we have had on so far that has caps in the FIFA World Cup. He is also currently a soccer betting analyst at CBS Sports. I'm joined by Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jake. Thanks for having me. So for the audience, we are going to start off talking about CBS Sports, the people that just recently acquired the rights to the Champions League, Jimmy's thoughts on them, his role there, and then we will get into the actual game. So let's start off with this. Jimmy, when did CBS first approach you and when did you agree to go with them? So it's the opposite. Uh, I did not get approached by CBS. I approached them. So fortunately for me, I had a contact at CBS. He was my original agent, media agent. My fun fact, when I retired, I did a press conference with Chivas USA. And 45 minutes after I announced my retirement, I got an email from IMG, which is a very big agency. And it was a man named Ben Stauber, who is great. And he said, Hey, we like your personality. You know, we've seen you do these interviews. We know you have your own podcast. And you know, I was doing a lot of stuff as a player, kind of feeling out the whole media landscape a bit. And we'd like to represent you. Now, his was more of in a traditional sense. You know, he was more TV, radio, social media was just coming out, coming alive. YouTube was really emerging as more influential. And so he didn't have as much experience in that space. But we worked together for a while. And then it was kind of clear I didn't need anybody because I had gotten with Kick TV and did the YouTube thing, did some stuff with Fox and settled in Kick TV in New York for a while. And then he ended up moving on to CBS Sports. I'll cut the story in half here. And he ended up being the head of talent. So when I saw that CBS Sports got the Champions League and Europa League rights, I was like, yo, I haven't talked to Ben Stauber in a while. Let's send him a note. And that's my way of you know, leaning on a former connection, but, but also being ambitious and also being opportunistic and also being, I think I can help you guys. I don't know exactly what you're trying to do. But if you are looking for somebody, especially in this current situation, the pandemic, that has a pretty cool studio set up and, and can speak, I think, in full sentences and make sense as to what I'm saying and have fun and be informative at the same time, I could be a good fit. So he's like, well, I'm handling the broadcast stuff. So anything that you guys see uh, with regard to this coverage, and I think CBS is doing a hell of a job with Kate Abdo, who's been fantastic, and Robert Martinez, or Roberto Martinez, excuse me, and Ruth Hollitz. You know, that cast of characters, that's all him. So he passed me over to the digital side, CBS Sports HQ, more of the live streaming, their ESPN News-esque type stuff, and uh, spoke to Kieran Portley, and he was running point and really liked what I had going and what I had to say, and they said they really want to take a deep dive into wagering and betting and, and really start to bring the casual fan maybe through that as the gateway to really enjoying the sport. And I said, yeah, I can do that. Just, just tell me what I got to do. I want to be involved. Like the Champions League and the Europa League, are the competitions maybe not the Europa League so much but the Champions League is the competition I love the Europa League the game today was amazing but but the Champions League is it and if I can be involved 
I would love that. That's one. Secondly, if I can get on get in on the ground floor with a company who's really going to be invested in the sport for many years, that's great. And for me, that allows me to kind of showcase what I'm doing in a more traditional way, which if we're talking about what that means and what you're trying to do now too, Jake, especially in this country, if you're planting a seed now for our different ideas, like the soccer minute that you brought up, imagine what that's going to look like in six years when the World Cup's here. Imagine what kind of momentum that you're building right now ahead of a big, giant event that's happening in six years. So I try to make decisions now, like where do I want to be in six years? That I, what, or what can I do now that's going to help me be someone prominent or be part of the action in six years? And so that's how I'm starting to make my decisions now because that World Cup is inching closer. So as you mentioned, you've mostly been doing a digital role, but that gets broadcast out on CBS All Access. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? What's it like going on TV? What's it part? What's it like being a part of game day coverage? And how, uh, how different is that from your previous roles working in Twitter and on YouTube? Yeah, it's been fantastic. I think for, for game days, they have traditional hosts that are in the studio, Poppy Miller and Ian Joy. DeMarcus Beasley's joining them remotely, like I do. I'm more of a correspondent, frankly. And honestly, that's a nice way for me to get in there and not overdo it, right? And not try to sell something that I'm not, per se. I can handle those roles. I do a lot of hosting for EA and their big FIFA tournaments for around the world, which has been a great experience for me to be the main host and, and not make it about me. I think a lot of content, not just isolated to me, even though I, I do, you know, throw a lot of stuff to me and I can roll the clip up about my goal against Mexico until the end of time. I would say that with regard to hosting roles like that, it's learning how to get out of your own way and really make it about the event itself. Not worry about making the jokes, really build up the people and the, and the characters that are driving the story. And that's been really good for me. It's been a good tool to put in my tool belt. It's probably the best way for me to explain it. I've been prepared for this moment for, for many years to join the traditional stuff. I can speak the game nonstop. I can be fun about it. I can also be serious. I can really break down everything. I just needed that opportunity. And this is, for me, a great spot to do it because the hosts are doing their hosting thing. You do a lot of, uh, we call it being a traffic cop, right? You're, you're, you're bringing people in. You're throwing to break, that type of stuff. That's a whole different skill set. You have people in your ear going, hey, Jake, you've got 20 seconds to before we go to commercial. And then while you're talking, they're going 10, 9, Eight. Dude, that's a whole different skill, getting used to somebody talking while you're talking. It's unreal. It's a lot. It's a lot. And staying cool the whole time because your natural instinct is when somebody else talks, you stop talking. So it's a whole different thing to, to learn and a different skill set. I've done that, and I can't thank EA enough for giving me um, the opportunities to do that. I think this is a really long way of me saying that being a correspondent is a perfect spot for me to be in because – you get small slices of me. I can come in and be the scene stealer. I come in with the high energy. I have a lot of fun, giving you good information. These are some of the lines. If you guys are into betting, everybody obviously be responsible with that. I don't, if I'm going to wager, I'm only like five or 10 bucks because that's enough for me. It's, it's more about pride and reputation at that point. I just like being right. Everybody wants to just be right. I don't need to put $100 on it to be more right. I can just put $5 and have the same feeling. So just be smart about that. But I give odds and, and lines that people should consider based on the partnership that CBS has with William Hill. And it's been great. I, I, what I've learned is that I only give 30 seconds, a minute about the, the betting itself. And then they give me like three to five minutes to actually break down the game. 
and that's the sweet spot. I feel like I'm in a really good spot. And, and I think if you've watched any of my stuff on social media or whatever it may be, I try to find that delicate balance, I think, between fun and information. And if you strip away a lot of the, the packaging that I have, there's really good information there and, and there's, there's thought behind it and there's sound reasoning as to why I'm going a certain direction based on my opinion. So you're still incredibly active with the Soccer Minute, which makes sense. You were the founder, you were the creator of it. You're still doing stuff on Twitter in terms of videos, doing podcasts. You still do your Coach Jimmy segment that involves you <laughs> dressing up from time to time. So how active do you plan to remain with that? And are there talks about CBS potentially coming in and acquiring you for their coverage? That's a great question. I haven't had a discussion with them about any of that acquiring as of yet. I think they're probably still learning about me and probably just how to produce this sport in general before anything happens. They got thrown into the dumpster fire. They acquired the rights. And a month later, after, I think after the dust settled, they have to get a whole team together to go on air and, and produce something that's of high quality. And they've done an amazing job in a short period of time. So I don't think they're thinking about that yet. They got to get through the Champions League final. And then kind of reset, reassess, and decide what they want things to look like moving forward. What I do appreciate is I don't always have to be on the pregame and postgame. CBS Sports HQ, like I said, is 24-7. So sometimes I'll get to go on there, and I'll talk for 15 or 20 minutes. I'm like the featured guest, and it's awesome because we have more of a conversation, and you have a lot more back and forth. You know, Usually if I'm on the pregame, postgame, there's so much going on. They have so many special guests. They want to give everybody their own three minutes, which is, which is cool. Like As a viewer, you're like, this is amazing. Uh, but I would say with regard to that, I'm not really too worried about it. The soccer minute, I think is still evolving on its own. I'm trying to add more voices to it. So it's not just me. So we have, uh, Melissa Ortiz who's joined in. She's a former Colombian international who's doing content as well. She's great. Great personality. We got Michael LaHood, one of my favorite former teammates from Chivas USA. He just retired and he's going to come on and give it a shot. He wants to get into media. He's going to be a little bit raw, but we're going to work with him. And I'd really like to build out that roster five, six people that have all these different viewpoints. For me, I could speak about the, the Women's Champions League, which just started, but Melissa Ortiz comes on and she gave a great two-minute breakdown of what everybody should look for. I think it's awesome that it comes from her. Now, sure, I, I showed a ton of respect, but just to hear her voice and to hear her care about it and the way that she speaks about it is amazing. So I just want to make sure that we have a nice canvas of different voices that are speaking about the game and 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 giving some of my friends a platform if they want to rant for a minute, you know? So so I don't know what the soccer minute, I have ideas of where I want it to go. And I think once it gets there and we have a, a more full-bodied idea of what it looks like, then I think it'll be easier to pitch, not only to CBS, but potentially to brands. I work with AT&T, I work with Heineken, I work with EA, I work with Target, I work with Coca-Cola, you know? So there are plenty of brands that I can go pitch this to and, and hopefully turn it into something that can be even bigger. One of the points that you brought up earlier was how CBS really got thrown into the dumpster fire. And I just want to say they've done a really amazing job ever since Turner said that they weren't going to continue their coverage of the Champions League because they were losing their rights. They were going to throw it away. CBS's timeline got crunched down from a year and a half to basically a month and a half with the restart coming up very soon in August. And they've done an amazing job. They've got great talent. They've got great coverage. And They've just, they've really made this their own thing, and it's great to see it. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's, I can't say enough about CBS, and because it would have been easy to take your time and go, oh, we'll worry about making it good next year and not really worry about this time, but they, they just jumped on it, and they jumped on it 
with both feet. And I love that. I love working with people, whether it's a, a company or, or people that when they make a decision to do something, they jump in with both feet. They give that commitment. So it's been awesome to be part of the CBS family. I don't take this opportunity for granted. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to, to have be a part of the team, of course, to be on the ground floor with them as they look to build this. And then also to uh, allow, you know, have the opportunity for me to have a platform to speak to a bigger audience, which is something I've been working hard on, you know, on my own. But I will say you brought up something before and I, and I think the question kind of turned. What's interesting, and I know that you have aspirations of getting into sports media and continuing to build what you're already doing. What I had a conversation with somebody, with somebody the other day that sometimes people get locked into one job. So if you work for ESPN, for instance, you see a lot of it, those guys or, or women, it'll say their name and then ESPN at the end of their Twitter handle. And then when something happens or they get let go or they get furloughed or a, the crazy pandemic happens, they don't have anything else to fall back on. And I want to talk to you and anybody else that's listening that has those aspirations that you should really try to diversify your voice on different platforms because you learn just like I learned how to be a host via EA stuff. Uh, I learned how to be a host just doing live streams on Twitch. It doesn't matter if five people are watching or 500, you're not going to really approach it anything any different, right? You still have to learn your craft. You have to learn how to talk. You have to learn to look at the camera. You have to learn how to balance and, and juggle and still keep cool and calm and, and not be rattled by anything. You know, uh, Twitter's different. It's a different platform. TikTok can go on there and just try stuff. I mean, I'm on TikTok just because I want to throw ideas up against the wall. And if they hit, then I'm like, cool, then I can put it on the other platforms, you know? And so there's all these little things that you can do to help strengthen your cause. And if the, the more well-rounded you are, I think the more valuable you end up being to the original job that you had in the first place. Wow, that's really great advice. Thank you very much for sharing that. So I want to transition now into your current role with CBS and talk more about betting. For those that remember you from the Kick TV days, that's not something that you guys really covered or <laughs> touched on at all. Even with those platforms out there for sports like Barstool that have a lot invested into talking about betting, I don't really see a lot of soccer betting talk going on. You don't see it at Fox. You don't see it at CBS. So... Have you basically been given the keys to this title to do with it as you will? And are you ready and excited to jump into that? Yes, I have. And I appreciate that. And I think a lot of it, let's say the trust that I was given originally was the fact that if you had watched Kick TV back in the day, we had must win Fridays and all must win Fridays were my previews and predictions, right? Of the top five games of the week from around the world. Could be MLS, could be Argentina, could be France, could be England, whatever it is. Top five games in the world. These are my predictions. Here's a preview on it. Break down each team, give you a scoreline. Let's go. And then if I nailed all five, it most likely would remind you of that on Monday. So, because <laughs> that's what I do. But I've been doing that for so long. And once I left Kick TV, I had to let go of the must-win Friday because they own the intellectual property. So I had to restart it. And I called it previews and predictions. It's the same thing. So I've told this to the people at CBS that I have been doing this show for eight years now. Well, I had slowed down a little bit, but let's say seven strong years of doing previews and predictions almost every single Friday. And I was waiting for a gambling site to jump in because it was a natural fit. All, all I had to do to add to what I was saying, how I was analyzing the games was my favorite line, my favorite odds of the game. That was it. Everything else is ready to go. So when now when they asked me to do this, 
I already know how to give context to both teams. I know how to give you reasoning as to why I'm thinking a certain score. I can look at past stats. I can look at history. I can look at current form. I can look at the form of current players within your team, formations, how they do against three five twos versus four four twos or whatever it may be, similar opponents. I do that all the time anyway. So I'm already thinking that way. And that was a big selling point because like, all right, this guy's got a track record. And now all I have to do is add the line. So I want to make sure that when I give a line, say, hey, listen, like today I had Inter straight up winning at plus 125, which means when you see those lines, it's like you have to bet 100 to win 125. If you ever see a minus, like minus 140, you don't know what that means. It means you have to bet 140 to win 100. So those negative ones you want to stay away from. So I try to get into the plus ones. And, uh, you know, I find some good ones. I've, I've done okay. Last last day or two hasn't been as good because that. There, Sevilla wasn't supposed to win. What are you doing, Sevilla? But but I always say, hey, listen, everybody's got their gut instinct as to who they think they're going to win. I'm just going to give you a couple other ones to consider because I think there's some good value here. So I'm always trying to find good value. And because of their partnership with William Hill, I get some insight on, on that type of stuff. I just get a little bit more like research packets, either from William Hill or UEFA or whatever it is. So I'm like overwhelmed with research now. Before I had to go like seek it out and figure out where I'm going to find those kind of little narratives and angles that I can find to build a, an argument as to why I think this is going to happen. And then now that's just all, they just give that to me. So that helps me save about 15 steps just in terms of research. But, and I also know what I'm kind of looking for based on how I'm already feeling about the game and how I think these are, these teams are going to play. So it's, it's been good on that front, but I've already been doing that. And I think once I explained to them that part and that I already had a studio that was ready to go, they don't have to send me any equipment. I already have a high-end camera. I've got all the audio equipment. My set is better than anybody they've got at the whole place. I mean, I get calls and texts like, hey, I answer questions about this set nonstop. So I was already pre I was already packaged and ready to go. And, and um, I think it helps that I've got a personality and I have a voice and I'm not afraid to make an opinion. You know, sometimes you get new people that come on or people they're not familiar with who kind of sit on the fence all the time. I won't sit on the fence. I, I don't care if I'm wrong. I'll raise my hand and take responsibility. It happens from time to time. So yeah, it all kind of coalesced into something good. My experience, right? And and the opportunity. So for me, I don't believe in luck. I think luck is only where preparation meets opportunity. And I was prepared. And then as I mentioned to you before, I created the opportunity because I'm the one that reached out to make it happen. And I've, I, got a, I got a cool gig that I'm super proud of having. For being a betting expert, I want to hit you on this one point. Why would you go with Inter Milan over Sevilla, yes, of course, Inter Milan is a much better team with their back line and Lotaro Martinez up front with Romelu Lukaku. They have half the Premier League on their bench, but this is Sevilla's competition. Sevilla and the Europa League go hand in hand with Newcastle United in terrible ownership, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur and not winning trophies. I don't see how anybody going into Europa League final could pick anybody other than Sevilla. So what were you thinking going with Inter? It does. It does. I like you, Jake. Those are good analogies. I appreciate that. As a, I'm a Newcastle supporter of the Premier League, and it's it's hard. Uh, bad ownership and just the direction of the club sucks. That's a different podcast. My reasoning was that when I watched all the games, now that I'm doing this, I watch the games harder and, and more intently than ever before. Excuse me. I thought they played excellent against Roma. I'm talking about Sevilla. Excellent. All over them. And Roma kind of sucked. Chris Mullin left. Um... They had a couple other players in the middle of the field. Pellegrini like was suspended or hurt. All some guys in the spine of the team were out. I knew they were going to get rolled. I love Roma. I knew they were going to get rolled. Sevilla got rolled them. Then they played Wolves in the next round, and it was a little bit more difficult. 
Lucas Ocampos finally scored his first goal in Europe, and he's been an excellent signing from them from Marseille. I was Sevilla all the way, okay? Even against Manchester United, I was like, mm, this is a tough one. They should have lost against Manchester United. And I just thought over the course of those three games to lead to the final, I thought they got progressive. Now, I mean, talking pretty small, but they, I thought they had gotten a little bit worse. Whereas when you look at Inter, in contrast, they probably shouldn't have beaten Hatafe 2-0. Hatafe was all over him. Then they started to look a little bit better against Bayer Leverkusen, and then they absolutely slam dunked on Shakhtar Donetsk. And I thought, all right, I feel like Sevilla's slowly just maybe not being as sharp as they get to the final, but they're still surviving, so there's something to be said for that. And then I thought Inter was a little bit more on the rise, and Lukaku's just been unreal, dude. How good is that guy right now? Lataro Martinez, Lataro, I mean, Lataro, who's a bit of a streaky scorer, scores two goals in the semi and had an like. He's going to be feeling it coming into the final. And then when they scored early, when Inter scored early, it's like, holy crap, this could be a, this could be bad for, for Sevilla. The goals that gave up Inter Milan, like set, how do you let Luke de Jong, who you know can only score with his head for the most part, wide open on a set piece? Like that for me is just unacceptable. And I'll probably do a coach Jimmy on, on the defending there. But I just, I just, uh, I don't know what happened to Inter Milan. They 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 knew what they needed to do, and they still couldn't do it. Reguillon and and Navas were pretty much running the wings again, and that's how they beat Manchester United as well. They just created a lot of good opportunities and miracle advantages out there. I could talk about this all day. I'm still pissed because Inter gave that game away. They were the better team. They had the 1-0 lead, and they handed it over to Sevilla. Now, fair play to Sevilla. Julian Lopetegui's been awesome. I'm happy for him. Like Him crying after the game was amazing. Uh, it, yeah, it was so awesome, and I think that's what's cool about the sport in general, but but uh, anyway, you busted my balls. I've owned up to it. I'm not happy about it. Here we go. One last thing before we move on to the bigger game on Sunday. Of course. Was that third goal for Sevilla one of the most beautiful goals we've ever seen or just an unfortunate own goal off Lukaku's foot? No, I think the technique was good. Uh, but no, it was a Romelu Lukaku own goal for sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate because he didn't need to stick out his leg. It would have gone out. That's, that's, that's the game though, right? I mean, and I feel bad for Lukaku who you know, put the team on his back to even get to that point and for him to suffer that. And he's probably going to get some unnecessary hate because of that. You know, uh, it's unfortunate because he deserves better. I think I heard Peter Drury say in the broadcast that Romelu Lukaku was the first player to score on both ends of a <laughs> European Cup final, which is, come on, Peter, don't do the man like that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about the final coming up this Sunday. Byron PSG, stay with us. Welcome back, and now we are going to talk about the personnel, in-depth statistics, and the analysis for the game coming up this Sunday, Bayern versus PSG, the Champions League final. We're going to start off in your wheelhouse, Jimmy, with the defense, because this PSG defensive core could be argued is the best lineup that Bayern has had to play against, because that Barcelona defense was mm -hmm. great, but... I mean, Nelson Semedo basically had his entire career ruined when Alfonso Davies stole his legs. Leipzig... Dortmund, both of them have very good defensive cores, but Marquinhos, Presnel Kimpembe, Thiago Silva, Juan Bernat, which Bayern fans will remember, and Tilo Kerr could probably be the best defense that Bayern has played against all year. What is it that this team does best that Bayern really has to look out for when they play on Sunday? It's not only the back line. I think it's also the one or two guys that sit in front of the back line. With Marquinhos moving up from a center back position to play CDM, it really makes them a little bit more defense first. I think he does an excellent job of blocking passing lanes, of making things very difficult. And I think that is probably my favorite matchup of this game, Thomas Muller versus Marquinhos. 
because they're both fantastic players. Marquinhos is really disciplined, and I think having that center back experience keeps him really aware of where he should be moving in front of the two, right? It's one of those things where I became a better defender in my career because I had played outside back and, or I had played some midfield and I had played some forward. I understand what, what, how we want to move and, and where the space is going to open up and that type of stuff. And I think Marquinhos has been fantastic outside of him scoring big goals in the last two rounds, uh, which is just an added benefit to what he brings to the table. That's what I think they do really well. Tiago Silva, obviously a ton of experience. Kimbembe, uh, good. Juan Bernard, obviously you guys know him very well. I got to interview him when I did some stuff with Bayern. Really sweet guy, happy for him and all his success. They are experienced. They are disciplined. They know how they want to move. And they're not reliant on those guys, especially out wide, to have to make the game for them. All they have to do is figure out ways to get the ball to Mbappe, Neymar, and Di Maria. And they could just sit back and chill and smoke a cigarette. You know what I mean? Like those three guys are going to figure out something. And if anybody else can chip in on a set piece or whatever it may be, or bomb into the box late like Marquinhos did against Atalanta, then more power to them. But I think that's what makes them pretty unique is that they don't have to go forward to have success. Whereas a lot of other teams in the modern game, they need those wing backs, those outside backs to bomb forward and really help generate more attacks. That's not to say that, that uh, Karen and Bernard don't do that. Bernard definitely bombs forward and tries to join in, but it's not necessary at all times for, for that to happen. And I think because of that, they have the luxury of being able to stay at home a little bit more. And I think that makes them tough to break down. Also, they have Keeler Navas in goal. The guy won three straight Champions League titles with Real Madrid. He knows how to win. He knows what needs to be said and how to approach every single game. And that is massive. Now, I know he might be hurt, and I think that's to Bayern's advantage. I don't think that RB Leipzig really tested the backup, Sergio Rico. But I think uh, Robert Lewandowski in particular and Bayern Munich overall definitely will. And sometimes those guys aren't as sharp. Sometimes they're trying to do too much to prove that they should be the number one, and they might make mistakes. That said, Manuel Neuer is known to make mistakes too. And I thought Manuel Neuer was excellent against Lyon. I thought his, his positional play, especially on Memphis Depay, coming on that 1v1 was tremendous. And if that Manuel Neuer shows up, the one that's won a World Cup and the one that played against Lyon, I, I just think that really bodes well for Bayern, who I think also have um, uh, they have some vulnerabilities, I'd say. That's probably the only area that I think that they have uh, in their team. Let's move up the field to the midfield now. Marco Verratti is confirmed to be healthy enough to play for this game for PSG on Sunday. I look at other midfielders like Ander Herrera, who he kind of plays similarly to, and Julian Draxler, who plays a very different, more offensive style of midfield. What does this team look like? What are their distribution habits? How do they like to possess the ball? And who do they look to to start offense? Yeah, I should have probably added that when Verratti was hurt, who is an excellent player. And I think Verratti's probably their best player at helping them transition from defense to attack. So when he gets the ball, you can play him a ball in any situation. And most likely he, he can turn out of it and then make the right pass. And that's going to be very important. Because as you saw when he didn't play against Atalanta, and this is how you can tell overall, if Neymar has to drop really deep to pick up the ball, it's because the guys behind him can't get him the ball where he wants it. And that's what you want. That's what Bayern needs is for, for Neymar to drop deep to go get it. That means they're doing a good job defensively to, to block the passing lanes, block the space, whatever it is. Now, when Verratti comes into the team, he is so much better at that, that Neymar can stay a little bit higher, which ultimately allows Neymar to conserve energy, which is a bad thing for Bayern Munich. You don't want that to happen. So with Verratti into the team, and I think he will slot in, even though he doesn't have a lot of minutes, he could be a little rusty. He does that very well. That transitioning is very, very, very good. And obviously, he's, a, he's an animal 
defensively as well. And sometimes he gets a little over eager. He's he's good for a yellow card from every from time to time. Is what I wanted to say. But what what PSG did very well is they had a kind of a block of seven. They'd have their back four, and then they'd have Andre Herrera. They had Adrisa Gay and Marquinhos, and all three of those guys in midfield were very defense first, right? Sometimes you have midfielders. I'll use Paul Pogba as an example. He can defend. He just doesn't really like to defend. But you have other players who do like to defend and think defense first. And Golo Conte comes to mind. Marquinhos would be another one. Uh, Jusa Gay, under Herrera. They love it. Like, you can tell they get some type of thrill of frustrating other teams, which is why I played defense as well. Now, when you add Verratti into the mix, he'll do it too. And I don't think he minds doing it. But he's so good at, like, unlocking the other team. If there's any pressure, that that's it. He'll either turn out of it or make the good, the good pass. So Verratti's an interesting add to their starting lineup. And I think will be... A tough challenge in some ways for Goretzka and Tiago to keep an eye on, and even Thomas Moore to a certain extent, to figure out how, how do we neutralize what he brings to the table and not allow him to give good entry passes to Mbappe, Neymar, and Angel Di Maria and, and you know, higher up the field. Let's move now to this forward group, which it's really... It's taking a lot for me to say this, but this PSG forward group has not been as terrifying as normally they should be. You look at this last game against RB Leipzig, three goals, two of them scored by defenders in Marquinhos and Juan Bernat, right? You look at their forward group, you look at the four people up front. Mauro Icardi, brought in really to replace Ensign Cavani, has had one goal, hasn't really had that good of a return to form in the return to games played. You look at a man like Neymar, who has had one goal and two assists, and let's be honest, his finishing needs to be a lot better than what it was in that Atalanta game. He probably should have more goals in there. You have Angel Di Maria, who's got one goal, three assists. Not too bad for a winger. But killing Mbappe, coming off of this injury, he's really been missing. He's played all three games. He's only had one assist. If you're Thomas Tuchel, who do you go with, right? Because... Not all of them are producing at the rates that they probably should be for an attacking group this loaded with talent. So you're facing against a great Bayern team defensively. Who do you look to to produce goals? I, I agree with that. I agree that Neymar's finishing has been pretty abysmal, especially by his standards. I will say, though, outside of the box, he's been fantastic. He, he drives at defenders, and I think that's a big worry if I'm a Bayern fan about who's going to be at center back. Is it Boateng? Is it Sula? Who, who's going to step up and be the guy and have to manage that? Now, what I thought Thomas Tuchel, the manager, did, and it was a genius move in my opinion, was that he took Icardi out, who didn't do as well against Atalanta, wasn't as impactful. Obviously, he has the benefit of Di Maria coming back into the team. And against RB Leipzig, they didn't play a nine. And what I thought that uh, Dayo Upamakano, who's the star center back, young stud center back for RB Leipzig, he did well against Atletico Madrid because he went up against a traditional number nine in Diego Costa. And I think he still has Diego Costa in his back pocket. Now, what happened was, I think that Julian Nagelsmann, the young manager for RB Leipzig, assumed that Icardi was going to start again because he had started the previous game. And that's a great matchup for Upamakano and for anybody else in RB Leipzig because he's not as mobile. Right, it's a very traditional matchup: big strong guy versus big strong guy, and that's Upa Meccano can eat that up for lunch, no problem. But by Tuchel not putting in uh, a traditional number nine and having Neymar or Mbappe or Di Maria kind of sit in that false nine spot, it forced Upa Meccano to make decisions: do I follow that player in the midfield or do I not? And it it paid off right away. Kylian Mbappe had the ball in the middle of the field; he was running at Upa Meccano a little bit. Upa Meccano stepped. And Neymar's like, thank you very much, because that space opened up. And Neymar went in one-on-one. -on -one. 
and he had a toe poke that hit the post. I was pissed because I had him scoring first in that game and it didn't happen. You bastard Neymar. I'm still pissed about it. But 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 I want to not discount the types of things that these guys do. I know that Mbappe doesn't have the stats. He's obviously still coming off a significant ankle injury. But he changed that Atalanta game when he came on. And the reason is because his mere presence changes the game. His speed is so good. His ability to drive at people is so good. You have to pay attention to him if you're the defensive team. And what happened then was when that happened, that allowed Neymar to have more space. Now he could drop off and actually have time to turn and run at defenders because they had to pay attention to killing Mbappe. And these are the same challenges that Bayern Munich are going to face as well because they're going to be forced to make decisions. I don't think that Tuchel is going to go with the Cardi here. I think he's going to go with what works. The problem is Alaba and Boateng are a lot more experienced, even Sula, than Upamakano. They know what that looks like. They play against Robert Lewandowski every day in practice. Now, he's a more traditional number nine, but, but they're used to players of that quality and seeing them on a constant basis and being pulled out of space and when to stay and when to go. They're World Cup winners. Well, he, Alaba's not, but Boateng is for a reason. They've won everything for a reason because they have the, those chops, right? Upamakano, who I think is a fantastic player, but he just doesn't have those same repetitions. And I think that's going to be an interesting matchup as well as to see what Tuchel starts. He might go with the Cardi, who knows, but I doubt it. I think he's going to stick with what worked against RB Leipzig and try to neutralize uh, your backs in a certain way. And I think that I, I'm curious too now, does Pavard come in? Do you put Kimmich in the midfield? Do you take Goretzka out? You know, I really love the double pivot of Bayern Munich and we'll probably get into them in a second, but, but I really feel like that team having the double pivot, the double CDMs, allows the team to really transition meaningfully, either vertically if they want to go high, right? Because then one of them can bomb forward and help support the player, win the second ball, or maybe even more importantly, horizontally. And it allows them to create all these triangles and numerical advantages that the other team doesn't really want to try to defend. And that ultimately wears other teams down and they're, and they're in. So that's, that's kind of my breakdown there. Let's talk about that double pivot right now. Uh, do you think that if Bayern were to win this game, that this double pivot would probably be the biggest reason why they did? I don't think anybody's solved that yet. I think Thiago is so good. Uh, he's really smart on when he goes, when he supports, when he maybe tries to become a little bit more box to box. He usually stays home and lets Goretzka go. What I'm trying to figure out is if you bring Pavard and you think he's 100% and he's sharp enough to play, if you start him... And then put Kimmich in midfield and set Goretzka on the bench, unfortunately for him, because the Champions League final, everybody wants to start and play and be the hero, of course. But if you have Kimmich, who's normally a, a right back, and you have Pavard in there, that could be a good way to maybe neutralize whether Kylian Mbappe starts on that side or Neymar or even Di Maria, who I think will probably be on the other side and cut in. But having two guys that are kind of thinking defense first might be the way to go. And if Goretzka doesn't start, I think that will be the reason why Hansi Flick didn't do it. So according to reports, both Benjamin Pavard and Jerome Boateng are ready and healthy enough to be playing for this game on Sunday. So whatever happens, I mean, I'm going to go with Hansi Flick's gut. I'm going to go with Hansi's uh, decision making because this really has to be the story of the year, how well Hansi Flick has been. Yes, he's kicked around in uh, in assistant coaching roles, but he really hasn't had a top managerial role since... Hoffenheim back when they were in the third division so it's really been utterly amazing to see the success that Hansi has brought to this team and I trust this man to lead this team to do really good things in the Champions League final for sure for sure I would jump in with Hansi Flick a little bit I mean he was on Yogi Love's staff you know it's not like he's an unknown quantity to a lot of these players and 
you know, he was a part of the staff too. Uh, and, and really, I think as a player, when you have Niko Kovac, who clearly wasn't pressing all the right buttons with the team, and then you bring on somebody with Hansi Flick, who I think is a lot more of a man manager. And I think that's a nice tool to have as an assistant coach, right? Because more often than not, when you're an assistant for a very long time, you're the one that's about like kind of a middleman between the coach and the player. Because sometimes the coach doesn't want to hear everybody bitching about or whining about these little nuances things. But as a player, you always feel comfortable talking to the assistant about it. And that assistant will sometimes give you insight on what the coach is thinking that can settle you down. And there's like a nice rapport and trust that gets built there. And I think Hansi Flick has that in, in spades. And I think this was just his time and he's inherited a team. I think we could all argue and maybe even see that this team could probably coach themselves. I mean, they have so many older guys that could really, Boateng could probably coach the team. Oliva, Neuer, you got Lewandowski, Muller. I mean, you have so many on the field generals, Tiago, that, that could do it, that he just has to get out of the way sometimes. Just put him in a good spot. But that's not easy either, right? We see it with Pep Guardiola in the past or anybody that's inherited a team where you have so many star players. How do you still have to press the right buttons? And I think Hansi Flick's been, been great. But I don't want it to make it seem, and I'm sure your audience knows, he's not an unknown quantity. But with regard to him having managerial experience as the top guy, yeah, he doesn't have that much of that. No, no, of course, you're absolutely right. I'm just of the opinion that this one specifically was an absolute miracle because I think that most off-the-cuff managerial decisions mm -hmm. tend to go by the wayside, and I think it was a miracle that Bayerns didn't, right? I was talking with the Chelsea blog on a podcast earlier this month, and I was mentioning how Frank Lampard came in after only one season at Derby mm -hmm. County, and he performed really well for them, right? Contrast that with... Andrea Pirlo at Juventus, and I know you're a big Andrea Pirlo fan, but I'm a little bit concerned for this Juventus team because I don't know exactly how willing that a team full of older people will be willing to listen to Andrea Pirlo, regardless of how amazing he was. Add to that reports that, of course, Blaise Matuidi is off to enter Miami, but there are reports today that said both Sami Kadira and Gonzalo Higuain are considering... Are, are being considered to be cut from this Juventus team. So I don't know. I, I hope the best for them, but I don't know exactly if that's going to work out for them in the end. I just think that Bayern is incredibly lucky that their managerial appointment succeeded and it didn't go by the wayside as other player or internal assistant manager promotions sometimes tend to be. Uh, Bayern, for me, is one of the best in the business. In the transfer window, very smart, um, very thoughtful and efficient with how they make their moves. Getting Leroy Sané to come in uh, is fantastic. You know how they're evolving their team. They did it so respectfully. They let Arjen Robin and Franck Ribéry really play to their ceilings and their peaks for as long as possible out of respect for those guys. And to the point where those guys are like, they're leaving amicably. Right now, I feel like if you use Gonzalo Higuain as a, an example, he's probably going to be a little bitter that he's getting cut, you know, from Juve. And maybe he wasn't the star guy towards the end there. But still, it, it, there's something about the Bayern way that, that I've always been a big fan of. That's why I own a few jerseys. That's what I, why I like working with the club that, that I really appreciate and respect. And that's why they're champions multiple times over because they do things in a way that uh, are smart and sensible. And I can't say enough about how they figure out a way to push the guys, old guys out. That, that sounds negative, but to do it in a positive way. So everything ends good. And then bring up that young 
you know, while still having a few old guys sprinkled in to make sure everybody understands this is how Bayern does it, you know, and, and, and it's incredible. And now they're going to pass it on. I mean, Gnabry's been great and, and Sané's going to probably come in and be a star. And, you know, and you got Goretzka who's still young and they, who knows if they're going to win the Kai Havertz sweepstakes, probably not, but, but they're going to find other players that are going to start to fill in those other voids. And, and they do it in such a seamless way. You're like, God, how do they, every time there's a transfer, I'm like, how do they do that? And then you look at their team, like, how did they build that? And it's so, it's so incredible to see because it's consistent. It's not like they just did this once. It, it is, there is definitely a model behind it. And, and not only that from like a buying thing, but it's also developing players too. And especially North Americans. I mean, them taking a flyer on Alfonso Davies, amazing. Not that it was like a straight flyer, but they did their research. But they got that guy. He's probably worth 10 times now what they bought him for. And then they have a couple, Chris Richards in particular, who is in their youth academy that I hope gets a shot, you know? So they're, they're doing a lot of good a lot of good things, and, and I can't say enough about Bayern Munich. I don't think I'm allowed to talk any more about how amazing Alfonso Davies is on this podcast <laughs> because of how many times sure. I've discussed how amazing he's been, how awesome his development has been, and how he's really embraced this role. So... So let's go ahead and look at predictions. I don't think I have ever been more nervous for a soccer game in my entire life because I'll out myself. I've only been a Bayern fan since late 2013 into 2014. That was the first time I ever bought an edition of FIFA. I have German ancestry. I really only started watching soccer after the 2010 World Cup. My favorite player in that tournament was Thomas Müller. So when I wanted to pick a club, I said, oh, I'll just go with whichever one he's in. I didn't even know that Byron won the Champions League in 2013 when that I decided wor- to support worked them. That worked that worked out for you, Jake. <laughs> yeah, it really <laughs> did. So, like I didn't even know that they were as successful as they were. So, I wasn't even that nervous for the 2014 World Cup final, which is insane for me to admit because it was Germany versus Argentina with Lionel Messi and a very very good young mm-hmm. Argentinian team, but this is it for me. This is the game I've been dreading. I'm nervous. I'm losing sleep over this. And I don't know how much I can well, handle. I would say that you should take some comfort in knowing that Robert Lewandowski is at the peak of his career. He is unbelievable. And I think that if he ends up winning and Bayern wins, he should have gotten the ball on door. I think he'll end up being the FIFA world player of the year. Even if, even if they don't get there, I think he should still win it given all the success that Bayern has had. And they're now obviously on the, on the cusp of a treble. Uh, Yes, I would be nervous about PSG. They have three game changers up top who are also playing very, very well. The fact, though, that Bayern can hurt you in so many different ways is what makes me most confident for you to get the result. Now, I'm going to predict it's going to be close. I could see it being 3-2, even 4-3. Bayern's averaging 4.2 goals a game throughout this European competition. That's nuts. You know, they scored more goals than I think any team in the history of time, you know, uh, this particular season. They've really been on, on it, and Lewandowski, whether he, what I love about him is whether he touches the ball or not, he still influences the attack because his runs pull, you know, if he runs a certain area, he might pull two defenders with him. And that allows, let's say, uh, a Serge Gnabry to come in and like bang one top corner. You know, who I still, even though he had such a great performance in the semifinal, we still don't talk about him as much as we should, you know. And then you have Perisic, who's been very good. You know, he's, he's been muscling out Kingsley Coman and keeping uh, Leroy Sane's spot warm, but he's been very good as well. And you just got a lot of guys playing well at the same time. Now it's just going to come down, I think, to, to defensive focus. And as I mentioned before, the 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 form of Manuel Neuer in a lot of different ways. He's going to have to make saves tomorrow, and you're going to need Neymar to continue to be kind of trash in the attacking third, in and around the box. 
he's gotten closer. The first game against Atalanta, he missed a breakaway and didn't even hit the frame. The second game, he hit the post. So I think he's like, he's getting closer to scoring. And so I worry about that a little bit for Bayern because they're going to get some looks because those guys are good players for a reason, world-class for a reason. But if Neuer's up for it and, and if everybody defensively kind of stays together and disciplined and Alfonso Davies, who I love, still has a tendency to maybe push too far forward at times because he knows he can track back, but you're not going to be able to track back on a Kylian Mbappe who's just as fast, if not faster than you, you know, or even a Neymar who can run super fast with the ball as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and, uh, yeah, I, that's the spot I worry about. There's going to be goals in this one. I, I, I think three, two Bayern is my prediction. I think when I predicted the score line for the Barcelona game, I'm pretty sure I said three to one. You're close. So, yeah, yeah, just a little just a little bit off there, but my point in bringing that up is that my predictions could be incredibly off for this game and Bayern could come out firing on all cylinders, but I don't know why something deep inside of me is saying a 2-1 game because I think that this Bayern team defensively, specifically Jerome Boateng and David Alaba who have been playing this entire time are really angry over their performances mm-hmm. that they've had over the last couple of games, right? Because you look mm-hmm. back and all of the goals that Barcelona scored, there was an Alaba own goal. There was miscommunication on the back line. Chelsea, mm-hmm. you had something similar in the goal that happened for Tammy Abraham, miscommunication on the back line. So I think that they're going to try their best to really rise to the occasion and rise to the front three that they might end up having to play and shut them down defensively. I I mean, that's an internal hope, but I also just think that they're more than ready. They have all this great experience and I I don't know, two, one to me seems like a fair bet. So, so what, yeah, I, I, two, one's not a bad shout because PSG has been amazing defensively throughout this competition. They're the best defense in the whole thing. They've only given up five goals in nine games. And as you mentioned before, you're like, wow, how are they doing that? I mean, they're just, they're doing what you want Bayern to do. They've been disciplined. They're taking a lot of pride in being good defensively. I think set pieces will probably come into play here. And so that's going to be something of note as well. Like they always seem to do in big games between teams that are very even. What I'll say is, and what Bayern from my perspective needs to do is you have to stack up those top three. You have to get immediate pressure, but you don't have to win the ball. That's that's you just have to shape it to a certain direction in that you have to stack it up. So the first player has to like, if, if Neymar's about to get the ball, you got to go pressure him immediately. That way it forces his touch one direction or the other. And there's got to be a second player ready to go that when he takes that big touch, that's when you try to win it. If they try to leave that one player isolated, to defend those guys by themselves, you're going to get crushed. You have to be able to stack them up. So that means the space between the lines has to be uh, excellent. It, there, there can't be any gaps because PSG is so good at exploiting those gaps. So if Kimmich, let's say if he starts it right back and he steps up to Neymar, but Boateng has to be close to him just so if Neymar does do like a rainbow flick or something over Kimmich, Boateng can be right there. If Boateng isn't sliding over and he's like maybe a yard or two late, Neymar's going to get by him too, right? So it's just... With these guys, these world-class guys, you have to be able to stack them up. I know Alfonso Davies can run with Kylian Mbappe, but even he is going to need backup as well. So Alaba is going to have to make sure that. And then Thiago and whoever plays next to him, Goretzka or Kimmich or whatever it is, they're going to have to figure out, let's call you know, you backtrack. So you got to, if the ball is past you, you're still trying to get in a good spot. I did a coach Jimmy on Serge Roberto on the first goal that Bayern scored where Muller did that one-two with Lewandowski. If Sergio Roberto had kept his run going and like, he basically ran and stopped 
and I crushed him for it because all he had to do was continue his run and see the play out, and he would have been in Mueller's way. Mueller wouldn't have got that shot off. It's just little thing you can't shut off in those moments. You got to see all the plays through, and if it fires up for it like you think they will be, and Emmanuel Neuer standing on his head, which we all hope that he will then I think, yeah, I think Bayern will win the game and it could be a little bit closer, but I see a lot of goals in this one just because. <laughs> I like goals. Wouldn't that be absolutely great if this thing turned into a goal fest? It would be an absolutely fun game to watch and I kind of hope that it turns out that way. So thank you, Jimmy. That's going to wrap this episode up. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Jimmy Conrad. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. You can follow us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works. You can like us, rate us, share us, download us, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your quality audio content. And until next time, where hopefully we are talking about a win, we will see you later. Mia San Mia. Mia San Mia. <laughs> Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be it. I'll be the same.